What makes a film memorable and meaningful? Great cinematographers are not only translators of a director's vision, but are involved in a dance between director and actor. When combined with personal techniques like handheld, the camera itself can become a character, bringing us back in time and behind the eyes of well-known figures like Van Gogh and Stephen Hawking, which is what Benoit Delhomme did in the films At Eternity's Gate and The Theory of Everything. Benoit Delhomme specialized in cinematography at the Ecole Louis Lumiere and went on to make his breakthrough as a director of photography for the movie The Scent of Green Papaya with Tran An Hong. The film went on to win the Cameron d'Or Award in the Cannes Film Festival and was nominated for an Academy Award. Benoit has established himself as an international cinematographer and has worked with creatives such as Al Pacino, Julian Schnabel, and James Marsh. Over the years, Benoit Delhomme has worked on a wide array of films where his focus has been to tell a strong story the visual. This focus is shined not only through his work as a cinematographer, but also his work as a painter. Benoit Delorme, welcome to the creative process. It's really good to talk with you. Okay, your first cinema. One of my first memories of image in a film, like a small film, I think it was at school. I mean, I was something like six or seven. And I remember it was a black and white documentary about a Chinese family. And I liked everything in it. I don't know why it was shown at school. I remember a young boy facing the camera. I don't know. I think about it very often. Just a young boy brushing his teeth. China in the 60s. Maybe it was the 50s. I don't know. It's what it is. You don't know why, you know? When you see those early films, it's like they're aware of the camera, but they haven't been inundated by so many images. You can see children now. I mean, my son could watch anything on my iPhone. Anything. Yeah. It's like a drug. And he's trying everything to steal it from me. They're already media savvy. So it is a beautiful to see that innocence yeah. that people had. I mean, certainly the images we could see at the time, they were very rare in a way. We didn't have TV at the time, not in my home. And we didn't go to cinema very much. Not many movies, really. And so this thing at school, I don't know what it was. Maybe God is something to know about other countries, something like this. I have no idea what it was. It was very nice. I love this thing, this family in black and white. It's very simply shot. It was like first shot of cinema for me. You know, it's just that we have too much of everything. Like before people had pair of clothes, they would look after it and they would repair it. Hello. The abundance. For example, there is many films. There is one film I'm trying to look for many years. I've seen at one point when I was in hospital, I mean, seven years ago. And one evening I saw a film, it was a German film. Very, very scary. It scared me because I was in the hospital, I was sick. And I forgot which film it was. And I like the fact, I didn't want to know which film it was. I like the fact, I said, okay, it was in Germany, it was in black and white. I didn't know any of the actors. But the story was so shocking to me that I thought, okay, you know, I, I thought about it a lot. But I didn't want to see it again. But one day I talk about someone about this film and this person said oh I know I'm going to send you the film suddenly I got the DVD I never watched it because I didn't want to see the real film I wanted to keep forever the memory of this film I've seen in this hospital and I wanted to reinvent it myself you know I hated the fact she was nice this woman she wanted to give me the film and I didn't want her to give it to me and she did and I never watched the film it can kill your imagination yes exactly you know another thing that I really love doing I love watching films and falling asleep me too falling asleep watching a film is best you know, for example, if you see an exhibition, they say of Matisse or Picasso, you have 200 Picasso, 200 Matisse, you're not going to like really all of them. You're going to be moved by one painting, maybe one, but not 250. It's the same with the film. In many films I've seen in my life, there is one moment I love, and maybe the rest is not so good. One year I've been in the jury of, of the Cannes Festival, a small jury for the award called Camerador, the best first film. We had 25 movies to see 
in one week, something, or maybe 10 days. And we had to meet every day to talk and to see which film was the best film to get the camera door. And many times I was talking about film, I didn't like completely, but I liked one scene in them. And I thought, okay, his first director, I prefer him to touch me with one incredible scene than making the perfect movie. For me, it was more my concept of the camera door, someone who has incredible potential as an artist, but doesn't know how to make a perfect film completely. But knows maybe one close-up of a woman walking in the street could be like, wow, the best shot I've seen for 10 years. But the rest of the story was not working. Why not? You know, and same with uh, some exhibition, you know. I'm not moved by all the Picasso. I'm not moved by all of them. I'm not moved by all the Matisse, but some, yes. But that's how it works, you know. And I think cinema, when you see a movie, maybe you have three scenes you like in the movie. Three scenes you can tell at the end to your friend. I think it's, yeah. Yeah, if you appreciate everything, it's too much. It's something like too much. Too, too rich much. of a food. But I think it's also very smart what you do. When you come back to your painting, then you go back to film, you come back, because that will keep the initial energy and the yes. passion alive. True. If you, as you say, if you only did the one, then you could become dead. It's possible. Maybe I think I need both. I didn't stop one or the other. And being with the camera on the film set with actors, it gives me something I don't have in my life something else. And the painting is different. I need to be with a camera on a film set, certainly. But I wish I could do it in a different way sometime. And I wish I could do it on something uh, closer to me, you know, but uh, you become good to make some personal, something very far from you, I would say, as a cinematographer. If you don't do that, you're going to fail terribly. If you can't make what you do personal to you, I mean, there is no soul. You need to make it personal. I feel in, I've been making a movie since I'm like 22. I finished film school and I was 22. Now I'm 62, so most 40 years of filmmaking is a lot. Artistic beat takes a lot on your life, takes so much time of your life, and especially as a different cinematographer, you have to work on other people's lives, not your life. You don't talk about yourself. You develop things about yourself through other people, you know? It's not like if you're a painter, as a painter, you, I would say, painter works about himself. And I think as a cinematographer, I work on other people's background, memories, sensitivity. I'm trying to always to match the director's sensitivity the actor's sensitivity, everybody's sensitivity, not mine. You, it's an art uh, of disappearing. Exactly. But you know, it's very nice to disappear because you feel lighter. There is not about all your own problems. So you forget yourself. Your body is weightless. It's great. But at the same time, it's not good, yeah, I think, to forget yourself, not to develop your ideas, you know. It's why I've been doing painting since, I think, my 30s just started because I thought I need more. I need more than what a camera, you know, is giving me, you know, and I see, you know, making film for other people is great but I miss something all the time. Even if the film is going very well, even if I love the subject, I'm not talking about myself. It's true. I mean, you obviously come out in it and in your notable films where you've done a lot of, you know, handheld camera work like at Eternity's Gate, you can't help but be a little bit closer to it. I think when I go around hand, myself already the camera move like I move you know so you can't hide yourself maybe this is why I like to go hell hell it's like talking it's a bit like I don't know like playing saxophone you know I tried to play saxophone when I was a year old but you know I feel like you know the handheld cameraman it's like a saxophone player it's like talking so certainly this is why I like it the base of walking how I stop to walk or I decide to go closer to the actor or to take more distance it's so free it's my brain reacting no one is telling me to do that the one is telling me, oh, one well, step forward, one step backward, it's me. I have to decide on the spot. So there is certainly the freedom of 
paint uh, with a brush when you are walking with your camera. It's so nice because you really have even the vibrations, your rhythms, the actors' rhythms. And I thought it was beautifully described by William Defoe and other actors that also appreciate when they've had this improvisational style. It was like a dance. Yeah, I'm not a good dancer in life and I don't know why, but suddenly when I have a camera on my shoulder, I become a good dancer. This is a mystery of the brain and I have no idea why. I remember when I arrived in film school and I knew nothing about cinema. I like the idea to become a cameraman, but I never had a camera before. And I remember the first day I had to take the camera handheld on my shoulder and I don't know, it was something completely, I knew to do it. And everyone in class recognized I was really good at it. First time I did it. And after I got obliged to do normal shows, film people say, oh, I hate handheld, not right, it's shaky. It's like a painter who gets a style and he gets rejected by museum, by galleries, because like Van Gogh, you know, nobody liked his style. It's a bit like that. When you go handheld, some people don't like it. I remember when they went to Venice and I went to some festival of cinematography and some people said, oh, it's too shaky. I can't even see the picture. But that's perfect because that must be a little bit what it's like to be inside Van Gogh's mind. But that was the plan. That was, I think, Julian Schnabel's plan. It's what he wanted to do and he couldn't do it himself. And uh, that's a strange thing, you know, the relationship between director and director photography is so strange. Oh, a guy like Julian Schnabel, he has complete idea of how the film should look. As a painter is doing everything himself. He's needing no assistant. Suddenly, when he makes a film, he needs someone like, like me to translate what he had in his mind. It's very difficult. The job we have a, a, a director of photography to get what the director has in his mind is the most difficult thing. But the more I do it, I feel it is scary. Because some director of photography, they don't work like that. They come with a style, and like a big chef, they say, my style is this. If you don't like it, don't hire me. These guys, for this guy, is very easy. They say, oh, I do only like a very soft contrast film with golden light, for example. And people hire them for this, like a chef who has one very good recipe. I'm not like this. I'm trying to get what the director has in his mind before I think about the style. I don't like to come with a style. I just like to come like, if you say a dancer, we can dance any dance. But it's hard, it's hard work. Every time you have to start again from scratch. You have to, because if, if you come with too many preconceived notions, you stop seeing, right? You don't see anymore. You're but, not receiving, you're only transmitting. And like you think of like an Alfred Hitchcock type who has <laughs> everything. I can imagine working with him because it's all worked out before. Yeah, but it might be nice. I would like that in a way because many directors, they don't tell you what they want. They don't tell you. Even Julian, you know, it's more about we walk in the country, we barely talk. He says, oh, look at the sky, look at the trees. It's not like he has a perfect plan of the film. You have to guess a lot. The style comes as we go, as we should, but uh, together. And we always have to be connected. But I would love sometimes to work with the director who says, I know exactly what I want. This is it. This is it. Maybe it's nice. Maybe it's relaxing. Just because he trusts you. You're partners. Well, Julian, I mean, I, I don't know if he trusted me to start. And I had to prove myself for example, when he was starting to find a cinematographer for Eternity's Gate, he had another guy in mind, and after we met for many uh, weeks, he wanted to keep the two cinematographers. He said to me, oh, maybe we should keep the other guy too, so you would do one scene, he would do one scene, and uh, I was terrified. I thought, okay, that's going to be very difficult. I never done something like this, and maybe the guy is great, could be a great partnership. At the same time, I was suffering, you know, thinking, oh my God, I have to, I better have to share the images of this film with someone else. How can I do that? And until I went to Julian's house, 
um, won't talk to do like a weekend of preparation of talking about the film. And during this weekend, one evening, Julian said to me, oh, I'm going to paint in my outdoor studio tonight if she wants to come. And I went to see him painting and I brought a small digital camera. And uh, without asking, I arrived on the outdoor studio. Julian was doing very big painting, something like six meters by six meters, like eight or seven at the same time. And he had a huge brush and a huge stick and he had music on it. It was like a show. He was like a dancer and he was doing this incredible white marks on these huge paintings. I was kind of fascinated to be there, you know. Right. Julian was creating the painting and I started to film him like a documentary. I filmed him for like one hour until it got very dark and we didn't talk. He knew I was filming him. He didn't say anything. It was like a dance in a way. And I realized what I was filming at the time was the best way to convince him I could be the good cameraman for his movie. So I spent part of the night cutting my small documentary. And in the morning at breakfast, I said to Julian, you know, I shot you yesterday. Yeah, he said, yes, I saw you. And, uh, and I said, can you want to see it? And so I put my computer with first table and Julian just said, of course. He was so focused. He was very moved by what he could see. And he said, okay, you capture what I was doing incredibly. It's incredible. You got the film. So it's the first time to get a film. In general. A new audition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, you always audition. How do you get a film? You just do a talk like for like half an hour sometimes with a director in a cafe or office. And you get to convince the director. You have the right sensitivity to make the film. It's hard. How can they choose you? They can choose you if they like you more than anything else. If they want to spend time with you. Making images, moving images, and showing them to the director. I say, look, the film could be like that. And I also read that previously you wouldn't have the opportunity because you had another assignment, but the diving bell and the butterfly. Yeah, sadly. Sadly, you know, I met Julian on a movie I was doing with Al Pacino. Al Pacino was directing Los Angeles. It was a very small budget. Al Pacino was directing something about Oscar Wilde as a play, Salome. And it was like a work in progress movie. We were in a small stage and all the actors were like a bit like theater actors. It was incredible. And I was like trying to make a film with all these actors doing the play. So it was a very incredible experience. And Al one day, Al Pacino one day, asked Julian Schnabel to come to visit the set, maybe to give ideas, you know, it was like a workshop. And Julian came the whole day. He was sitting on the side watching the monitors. He didn't say a word to me. And it was hard because I was doing everything on this movie. And Al was in the film, so I had to choose the shots. I had to take a lot of decisions myself to capture what they were doing. And at the end of the day, I was kind of nervous thinking, okay, Julian was watching me doing this film with Al Pacino. And he began to think what I'm doing is ridiculous. So it's not good. So the whole day, I kind of worked thinking, okay, I'm filming Al Pacino. And uh, that day thinking, only about Julian. And at the end of the day, when we wrapped, he came to me, he said, he made a big hug to me, and I said, wow, okay. He said, great, incredible, what you've done. I always remember he said one thing. He said, I realized this camera was doing beautiful shots you didn't notice. The camera, I said, it was great. The great, great quote. I said, yeah, that's maybe true. And he also said, oh, one day, very soon, I'm going to make a film in France, and I will be interested to have you doing it. I was like, wow. And as audition. I mean, you know, I think what's the best thing for a director to see photography working on a set, to know who you are you know, as a person, how you move, how you talk, how you manipulate the camera, the lighting. I mean, directors never ask you to come on a film set before the shows. You talk in an office for like 20 minutes, sometimes in a cafe, in a restaurant. You know, you're supposed to convince the director you're the right guy. I think the best thing, certainly, is the director should come to visit you on a film set, see how you dance, how you light, how you move in the space, the time you take to think, how you look at the actors, how you try to put yourself into the mood of the day. And I mean, it seems obvious to me. But film sets are such close, close space. Don't invite directors to, to come to look at you working. Don't do that. But ideally, I would say it would be great to do that. Invite the director who want to hire you just to show him who you are, you know, when you work. It's one thing 
to be who you are as a person, talking in a restaurant about the script, about you know, corners, blah, blah. And something has to be on a film set with the director and actors and your crew. Exactly. Well, it's a collaborative process. It's how it all comes together. That's the combination. It's so idyllic. It's a very beautiful space to work. Like if I took a photo and I look at the photo, yeah. it could seem it's like... different. But it could see... It has... A, you know, it's hardest to get the intimacy of a drawing in a big format in paint. It's just true. Like it has the intimacy yeah, yeah, yeah. of... That's what I like to do. It's just true. You're it's right. like your artistic notebooks. This is true. Oh, that's El Pacino. That is so great. I think you told me mm-hmm. when I was doing this film with yeah. when I came to visit, there went a big, big drama and said to me, scream at me, that I want you to capture my soul. Oh, yeah, famous actor at work. I hope my soul will not be a star. It's funny, all these guys, their life is so, so weird. You know, it has a likeness, and I guess it has a soul in it. Oh, but you know, it's good you didn't push to sell because that's like a gallerist dream you've been stockpiling for years. I'm mean, like Van Gogh. Okay, one, another one. I need to be organized. But I can't. I've been doing so much, you know. I've been painting for 20 years. And I was doing mainly theater because yeah. I want to be able to carry things out. Yeah. In here, in these small windows. People like diptychs. Do you know what's very interesting also is in your paintings and your recent films too, like At Eternity's Gate or Minamata. It's also about beauty and your paintings is about the creative process as well. It's true. These questions of it's how true. you create. It's very true, yeah. No, I'm glad you noticed that. Seriously, even I'm not alone, you know, but I feel so alone in my creation. It's crazy. I'm living in 2023. <laughs> I put Instagram and everything, but I feel so alone. Sometimes, as you said, is like you live a life of service as a cinematographer, and that's your most visible thing. But it's invisibility. Even sometimes, when you see the film, people don't know the cinematographer's name. It's a shame. I don't know. People don't know. That's me. I will. Yes. Well, now you're a director now. You're going into... Well, I can talk about this, yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. Life is interesting, I would say. Yeah. If you want to try to some things, yeah. already having painting. But you know, when I make a film, people treat me like a guy who never made a painting in his life. They treat me like a technician. I don't know what they will see. If some director will come here, for many years, we were treated like technician. And now we start to change it a bit. You notice when you're directing things that... You know, a director in some ways, a manager. It's true. You know what? Since I made a film, I think the DP is a real artist in film sets. Yeah, and the director is just like politician. Totally. I feel many things we do in cinema now are too sophisticated. Well, I was interested in that because in the film Beauty, you kept the same settings. Yes. Just to explain that because there's a lot of choices now when there's digital. And How do you know that? I just researched it. I mean, talk about the film Beauty. All of the films I'm doing are different. So I think that's something people don't really get what I was saying to you before that some directors of photography, they come with something and they never change it. And it's a director going to hire you for that style. My approach is different on every movie. Also because I think first I would be bored if I was doing always the same thing. I'm not this kind of person who can apply again and again the same recipe. I don't like it. When I cook, I never take a recipe book, for example. I can't. It's just not my style. So every film, every movie, I'm not coming with a recipe book. So I think, okay, this one, maybe talking to the director, quickly analyze what I should do. Everything can be filtered now. Yeah. In beauty, so you did the same settings. Well, sometimes, you know, some movies, you want the style to be different for every scene, which will be like a painting. You say, oh, today I want to do that. Some movies, every scene can be different. You can try to find different texture for every scene. Because, you know, when you read a script, 
Nothing is written about visual. It's what people don't understand. I think if the audience knew, I guess they don't know how the scripts are made. The audience, I think the director tell everybody everything he wants, very clearly. People think the script has intention of light, of framing. No, the script is mainly dialogue. The script more and more is mainly dialogue. It's people talking and they say, oh, the setting briefly is just two people, a man and a woman are sitting at the table and they're drinking tea, you know, and it's morning or it's night, that's it. So there's so much to put after. A script is very very simple guide of where people are in terms of action. The action very briefly described. Time of the day, because you need to know for production if it is day or night. That's it. Nothing. The director is not going to explain to you, he's not going to write a long text of the look he wants for every scene. No, it's never like this. So you as a director of photography, you have a lot to bring. You have to bring the colors, the textures, the contrast. If the sun is going to come from the window, or the floor, or is it going to be a gray day? Do you want to make it a gray day? And I will cover the house with uh, like a black you know fabric outside so the sun never enters the room and I will have to make the sun directors don't really tell you it's sunny this thing should be sunny or this thing should be gray they don't really tell you that this is one of your things you need to create that you need to decide oh this should be a dark day this should be like sunny day and sometimes you say no this thing should be sad we don't want sun and you cut the sun artificially you know you have, your team is bringing a big crane this is what people don't really get sometimes when you, you see a film shoot you see this huge crane around this tiny house. Say, so what are they doing? And in fact, maybe this crane are holding very big black frames to stop the sun to enter this place, this tiny place where you are shooting inside. You don't want the sun to be inside. It's crazy, the filmmaking process sometimes. And then I like that the elements like you were talking about, Julian Schnabel, or like a Dada element. Of, let's see what happens. Sometimes as a painter, you fling a paint on the canvas. It gives its own energy and momentum. Completely. When you say, oh, Julian is painting, when I remember when I went to see him in Montauk to get the movie. I mean, you know, it's interesting. If the first Julian is a painter, his process, he very rarely used like a blank canvas. I guess he must be scared of the blank canvas. He doesn't like it. So he always used fabric which already has a life. Like, for example, he was using the textile roof of a market in Mexico. He went to Mexico, he saw this. Oh, the textile making the roof of this outdoor market is so beautiful. He bought the whole roof. So he has so many fabric already, you know, destroyed by the sun, by the water, and he's using this roof as canvas. So already he has a starting point. So there's a beauty of improvisation. And I mean, some painters work with small sketches, like some directors want a storyboard. You know, what do you prefer in life? You do a storyboard, I've got plenty of own books here. That is written by Da Vinci, the Treaty of Painting. Yeah. Yeah. It is very beautiful. You know when you have books, too many books, at one point you look at them like objects, you don't even seem to open them. Yeah, that's true. So it's very nice, you coming, say, oh, what about this? Beautiful book. Da Vinci, he knew all about the lighting. I would say he knew all about, you know, what it is to film something. I'm not sure he would do it. Like, we tell a story, but he would certainly make beautiful shots. It's all about small notes about color and which color you should use and how to paint the sky or the color of the mountain. He is a real philosopher. The Leonardo da Vinci. This is genius. He knew all about the lighting. I would say he knew all about what it is to film something. So I know it's like over 500 years since his death, but people love his painting, but I think they love his mind. I think so. You know, so I think people go to see the Joconde in the Louvre, they don't go to see painting, they want to see the mystery behind it. Because everybody has been told about the mystery of La Joconde, the, the secret message, blah, blah. I wish I was making film where people would come to see it because there is a secret message in my lighting. It would be fantastic, you know? I mean, I love it. Thank you for asking me to open the book. And there's one, I realize one part is in Italian, so I must have a bilingual one. It's fantastic. Oh, yes, it's, yeah, it is in Italian too. 
It's a bilingual. It's, yes, this book is incredible. For example, one chapter is Pleasure of the Painter. Incredible, no? It's true. If you want to do art well, you need to have some pleasure. Like when talking, if talking is not a pleasure, it's horrible. And filming, when filming is a bad experience on a film set, it's one of the worst things in life. It's terrifying. All this ego of people checking each other, the politics, the power. Filming can be such a pleasure. It can be horrible sometimes when it's driven by very clear storytelling. What's interesting about Da Vinci and his obsession, very interesting mind, with the documenting and understanding how the world works and is made. I also think at that time, painters are respected, but there wasn't this authorship, like the single artist, not yet really happening. And I, he must have had the frustration as someone very talented, but also intelligent, that he felt in a way kind of silent, like a cinematographer, like I'm just here, a technician making your things for your churches or whatever. And he had to prove yeah. his mind. Yeah, totally. totally. And they weren't doing that before, yeah. the artist being, he's a creator. He's, he's an inventor, he's yeah. like an engineer, he wants to understand the world. I mean, I would never have this kind of pretension now to say I'm making film to understand the world. But in a way, it's true. You make film to tell people how people live. I mean, I think Godard said that, you know, every film is a documentary, in a way, of the actors on someone, I don't know, someone walking in the street. Oh, how is it to walk in the street. What do you see? So every film is a bit of that. And certainly Da Vinci wanted to use painting to tell about invention, about the world. But certainly films are also doing the continuation of that process. Filming people, I don't know, making love, for example, in a film. When you're a teenager, you know, the first thing you want to see is people making love in a film. It's true. You say, oh my God. Just, so certainly films are also there to teach you something and to tell you about life, about the mystery of life. I want to get to that part of the Lady Shadow this Lover, but I want to stay on this a moment because we were talking before about Van Gogh and Da Vinci and their enigma. We were as fascinated with their story. It's all about the story as with their artworks. Like if we didn't have the letters of Van Gogh and Theo or films that explore that, it wouldn't be the same as just the paintings. And I also think of another earlier film you made, Artemisia, yes. about the artist oh, yeah. Artemisia de Gentileschi. And again, it's the story, the things where she had to go through yeah. because she was forgotten and revived interest I, in her painting. That's the beauty of cinema, yeah, to, to be able to tell forgotten stories. It's incredible. And make people believe they are really seeing it again. Like, you know, when we did Van Gogh, William Dafoe being such a, maybe a double of Van Gogh physically. And some days we were thinking, my God, we're filming Vincent. He was so, I don't know what happened to his face on his film. I don't know, it's a mix of, you know, hair makeup and him, of course, him mainly. Sometimes we were thinking, we were looking at autoportrait of Van Gogh. I was making a, a shot of Willem and I was thinking, this is that autoportrait. This is this one. Now this is that one. Yeah. Because we know Van Gogh made so many autoportraits. Yeah. Many times I thought, okay, this film could be only that. I mean, of course, there is a very famous scene in the film now where he has just cut his ear. He's talking to a doctor mm -hmm. in the hospital and he has a bandage on his ear and he's facing the doctor. And this scene is like living uh, painting. I think to see Van Gogh autoportrait with the bandage on his ear, for real. It happened like this. Cinema has this power to put you back in the day. When I was shooting Artemisia in Chinechita, we were recreating these things too. We were thinking, okay, maybe this is what happened. I mean, cinema is about recreating life, no doubt. And film, we don't want to do that, they always fail. And you don't recreate life well because everything is super precise. It's not about that. Film, we want to be too precise. 
They kill life, you know? It's very special cinema. Sometimes you just look for nothing and you get the life, you get the magic. So it's why our work is so difficult. The more you work, sometimes the less close you are to what you wanted to do. This is very unfair. It's a bit like this painting. Sometimes you come, you're completely in a bad mood, you don't know how to do anything, and by accident, something happens on the canvas. You arrive, you take the wrong color, not the one you want. All your brushes are, are dried. You miss the right painting you wanted to use. You miss the right petrol. I don't know, you use different chemical, boom, something great happens. With film, it's a bit the same. I love seeing someone transform their view of art in multiple ways. Between cinema and painting, Benoit Delholm has really focused on what it means to tell the story through the visual. He'll even lean into storytelling methods such as handheld because it lends itself to the story in a visual sense. Since so many really turned their nose at the idea of using handheld because of its shakiness, it was fascinating to learn how Benoit would not only use it, but have it influence the audience's view. As someone who is always looking for ways to express their artistic side, it's nice to hear how someone else explores that. Benoit is aware that, as a director of photography, you are there to help the director with their vision, but it's more than that. It's impossible to look at a project and not see your own vision slip in, even in the slightest form. And Benoit always works to master that approach. What Benoit strives to do is is something that I think all artists could benefit from practicing. There are never two exact styles in his work. His approach varies, grows, and shifts depending on who he's working for and what he is working on. He doesn't want to be brought on to do the same thing twice. Humans are great at falling into routine, at doing the same thing over and over because it's what we've mastered in a sense. And while we might find ways to alter the process for the same outcome, it's not the same as truly jumping into the new. When looking at my own work, I fall into my routine fairly quickly. I think moving forward, it will be good to challenge my routine and usual approach by learning other methods and exploring new genres. It will be a necessary challenge and might even help with overcoming obstacles such as writer's block. Oftentimes, we forget that we still have to prove ourselves. Even if we have a position or opportunity laid out in front of us, there's no guarantee. It's always better to strive for more and to push yourself. That's what Benoit shows us in his lifetime and with his work. He pushes for more and not only does he get it, but it creates a domino effect for his future in cinematography. But it's not just Benoit's drive to explore the new and push for more that is so interesting. It's the fact that he embraces his love for the visual and other art mediums. It was his love for painting that encouraged him to film Julian painting. This later led to him being the sole director of photography on their movie, but it was embracing that art medium and facing a challenge that got him that position. He didn't just wait for it to be handed to him. His love for Van Gogh and Da Vinci and how they approach their art has influenced his own work in countless ways. Whether in film or painting, they proved to be an inspiration. While I've personally admired outside influences, I've never really deep-dived into researching how they can help my work grow. Looking forward, I plan on doing just that. I'll let them influence how I grow and further develop my approach as a storyteller. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Felt with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producers on this episode were Sophie Garnier and Tara Swan. The Creative Process is produced by Mia Funk. Additional production support by Katie Foster. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. If you'd like to get involved with our creative community exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative work for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.